Well, you've arrived on an Elder Panel Sunday. And uh, here at Oak Hill, we believe it's very, very important that each one of our elders uh, is, is able to teach, right? Because that's biblical, 1 Timothy 3. And so it's good for all of you guys as the congregation to hear them teach. Now, I know they all lead in various ways and teach C groups and all that, but it's good for them to come on a Sunday morning in the corporate gathering and to handle God's word. We think that's really, really important. Let's get down to our business and our topic for today. The holiday season is indeed upon us. And let me share a secret with you. God, based on what he's revealed to us in his word, it appears to us that God loves holiday celebrations when they point it back to him, right? When they, when they help us to celebrate his mighty works and to celebrate his faithfulness. We're familiar with holidays actually in the Bible, right? Things like Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Trumpets and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. All these things, God said, take this day and remember me. Remember my mighty works. Remember my goodness and my faithfulness. And of course, the early church picked up on that pretty early, right? setting aside particular days to celebrate the birth of Christ and then to, to observe the, the crucifixion and obviously to celebrate the resurrection as well. So as much as today we tend to roll our eyes like, ah, oh, the holiday season, right? We all, we all say holidays and we go, ah, oh, right? Because we know it's, it can be tiring and sometimes it's, we have to deal with difficult relationships and pain and loss. There's a whole bunch of things that go with it. As much as we do that, we should also recognize that these things please God, that they can be a great encouragement to us, and they can be very God-honoring if we approach them with the right heart. So we're going to talk about Thanksgiving today, but before we get there, before we get there, one last announcement. I want to give a teaser for what's coming up in our five-week Advent series, and that starts when? Next Sunday. The series is called Nine, and I'm just going to let that remain mysterious this morning. You gotta be here to understand where we're headed. All I can say, uh, and I said this recently to our members, it's going to be an Old Testament Christmas celebration. So the theme is Old Testament, at least in the, in the, uh, the near future here. It's gonna be a great series, so check in next week. All right, Thanksgiving is only four days away. Four days away. Are you getting your hearts prepared to celebrate well, to really celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God? As you can see, I've got these three amazing brothers with me today. Thank you. Uh, and each one of them is going to share a particular aspect of Thanksgiving to help get you guys prepared. We're going to start with Dave Hubbs, who is going to help us understand what it means to be thankful. And that may be more complicated than you think, and how thankfulness is central to the Christian life. Dave? Well, thanks, Jeff. Uh, you know, we're told throughout Scripture that we should have thankful hearts, hearts that express gratitude toward God. Ephesians 5:18 through 20 tells us, give thanks always and in everything. And 1 Thessalonians 5:18 tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when we put these two passages together, we, we see that we're to give thanks always, in everything, and in every circumstance. And that's very comprehensive. But many of us enter Thanksgiving season without a real understanding of thankfulness or even why or how we should be thankful. I'd like to give you some suggestions this morning to help you to cultivate a heart of thankfulness, a heart of gratitude that shuts out complaining and bitterness and instead 
springs forth rivers of worship and praise and joy, which all come in the wake of thankfulness. In order to have thankful hearts, we need to first understand that the gospel is the key that, under, that unlocks the door to a thankful heart. The gospel is the starting place and the absolute foundation of giving thanks. As we contemplate the gospel, we can't help but be thankful. So how does the gospel help us to cultivate a heart of thankfulness? Well, first, the gospel informs us that everything that we have comes from God and that we are undeserving of anything he has given to us. To believe this takes both humility and faith. Humility to admit that we're sinners and need God and faith to believe God's future promises. Without humility and faith, we'll not experience thankful hearts. The gospel informs us that we're all sinners, every one of us, Romans 3.23. Sin is disobedience to God, and in our disobedience, we wanna chart our own course for our life rather than to submit to God and follow in obedience. The gospel informs us that the penalty of our sin is death, Romans 6.23. And not just a physical death, but an eternal death, eternally separate from God, the just consequence of our disobedience. The gospel cultivates the heart of thankfulness because it informs us that though we deserve to be punished with a sentence of death, Jesus died on a cross in our place and paid the penalty of death, the penalty that we deserved, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And the payment for the penalty of our sin is available to all those who place their faith in Christ in repentance and follow him. Finally, the gospel takes our hope off the present and places it on an eternal hope, a hope that lasts for eternity and never fades, and a hope that's based on faith, based on an assurance, not a hope or a faith with a question mark. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, we're gonna read verses 16 through 18. Paul is talking here in this chapter about the many trials that he suffered through his ministry to deliver the gospel. And Jesus said, in this world, we're going to suffer, John 16, 33. But 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, let's start in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Jesus said that in this world, we're gonna suffer, and Paul and those who traveled with him were no exception. They experienced incredible pain and persecution, affliction, disappointment, grief, and loss. But Paul tells us in 16, verse 16, that they did not lose heart, even though their physical bodies were wasting away. So how could this be? How could they not lose heart and start complaining in the midst of all this suffering and pain? Well, the answer is in verse 17. Verse 17, for, the light, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient, uh, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Those who place their faith in Christ look beyond the trials of this life, what Paul calls momentary light affliction, and instead they see an eternal weight of glory which Paul says is beyond all comparison. The eternal weight of glory that we will experience 
tips the scales so significantly that Paul says that there's no comparison between our eternal glory and our current trials. Trials that Paul says are only momentary. The gospel gives us an eternal perspective on life, that our lives don't end with physical death, but go on into an eternal spiritual realm. And the reason the gospel is so important for thankfulness is because it looks beyond our current life and circumstances, things that Paul calls transient, and it opens the door and it gives us hope for a future eternal glory. The glory that awaits us is our capacity to praise God for who he is and what he has done. The future glory, which is our capacity to praise God, is so wonderful, so enormous, so breathtaking, that it's hard for us not to imagine what it'll be like. Our lives fully restored, such that sin and suffering will no longer be present in our eternal state. Paul says in in verse 16 that rather than complaining, which is the enemy of thankfulness, his inner self is being renewed day by day, that Christ living in him and the hope of the eternal weight of glory renews his eternal self daily, praising God for who he is in light of eternity. The gospel opens the door to our future glory, praising God for all that he is and thanking him for what he has done. Meditating from scripture on our eternal weight of glory in light of the gospel cultivates a heart of praise for who God is and thankfulness. Thankfulness always in everything and in every circumstance, even in times of suffering. But Christians, as Christians, we can sometimes fall into the deception of seeing our lives in light, not seeing our lives in light of eternity. We fail to see that our lives are like vapors, like Adam talked about last week from the book of Ecclesiastes. Vapors in the scope of eternity. And we live for today by complaining rather than giving thanks. In those times, we need to renew our minds by meditating on scripture truths that cultivate a heart of praise for God, for who he is and thankfulness for all that he has done for us through the gospel. So I would just like to highlight a few of the eternal implications Um, of the gospel. Meditating on these truths will create in us thankful hearts, hearts of gratitude toward God. First, though we were sinners and we deserved eternal punishment, Christ paid the penalty for our sins of those who place their faith in him. All of our sins forgiven, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Whatever sins we've committed in the past, God has fully forgiven Every sin, every last one of them, wiped clean, completely forgiven, never to be brought up again. We could end there and that would be enough to praise God and be eternally thankful because of the enormity of this great gift. Next, not only were we forgiven our sins, but we've been given eternal life, eternal life in heaven with God, never to sin again, and everlasting fullness of life that that will never experience the pollution and pain and suffering that sin brings. And no fear of death because we will follow Christ in his resurrection. Next, those who have placed their faith in Christ and follow him daily have been adopted by God as his children, John 1, 12. What a great blessing this is, adopted by God as his children as a child of God and given an inheritance in in Christ, placed in the family of God, all of us 
all of us here today, brothers and sisters in one spiritual family with Christ as our head, as we meditate on our adoption and, our, and the inheritance we have in Christ, that we are seated with Christ in heaven as God's children, how can we not fall on our knees before a holy God and express gratitude? In light of this, how could we not have hearts that are full of joy and praise and worship and thanksgiving? Why would we choose to focus on ourselves and mope around in tears and in this depression? Because of the gospel, Christians should be the most thankful and the most joyous people on the planet. Finally, Ephesians 1.3 tells us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Think about this, blessed with every spiritual blessing. Has God withheld anything from us? Is there any blessing that God has not promised to us? How could we not be thankful? How could we not burst forth in praise for God, seeing the eternal weight of his glory? The eternal implications of the gospel are so overwhelming that we naturally fall before the Lord on bended knees with praise and thanksgiving. It helps us to overcome any suffering, pain, or affliction because Christ lives us in us today. And we see these things in light of eternity. We see our suffering as momentary and Christ renews our minds so that the burden becomes much lighter. Jesus is our shepherd. He's our faithful shepherd. And for that, we can give him thanks. He looks over us in our time of need. The love and care for us renews our minds and cultivates a heart of thanksgiving. And notice that we're not only thankful for temporal things, but we're thankful for eternal spiritual things as well. How thankful we are reveals the truth of our souls. And that's why thankfulness is so important in the Christian life. Christians who are growing in faith are also growing in thankfulness. It stems from an awareness that we have received enormous gifts from God that are completely undeserved. I want to encourage you this week to meditate on these glorious gifts that are all from the hand of God. Meditate on all the unmerited favors that he has graciously given to you and what awaits us in glory. I would also like to encourage you to make sure that you're cultivating a thankful heart year-round by including thankfulness in your daily prayers. Thank you. Amen. Amen to that. Listen, um, it, is, it seems to be human nature that we often like to focus on the negative, right? And fall into self-pity. And, uh, and even sometimes lean into victimhood. And we've got to be different as Christians because of what Dave just shared. The gospel and thankfulness go hand in hand, do they not? Right? When we focus on what God has done for us, we focus on the gospel, then that thankfulness is going to grow in our lives. But let's be honest, there are some things that threaten that thankful spirit within us, and that's what KP here is to talk about, threats to thankfulness. Yep, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about threats to thankfulness. So I want you to imagine this scenario. It's morning time. You have an assignment that's due by 9 a.m., and you still need to make a few corrections that your superiors ask you to do. So you're rushing through your morning routine. You get ready, you skip breakfast, you grab your coffee, you're out the door, you're in your car, and you think to yourself of all the things that you need to do before 9 a.m. You're cruising along in your car, and then all of a sudden you look up in the distance and you see a sea of red brake lights 
coming towards you. Oh no. You hit the brakes, you slow to a crawl, and anxiety slaps you across the face. How am I gonna get done what I need to do? I can't spare even 30 seconds. You look to your left and you see the cars rolling past you. So you make that judgment call and you swerve over and it stops. And then you look back to your original lane and that car that was behind you is now 10 in front. Uh, anger sits in, you honk the horn, you see the car in front of you is on the phone, not looking at the road. And even though you left early, you're now 15 minutes late. I think we've all experienced frustrations in traffic before. And we can say that we're not generally thankful for those moments, right? Yeah, generally. So how do we justify a passage that Dave talked about, right? In 1 Thessalonians 15, 18, that says, in everything give thanks. Be thankful for God, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if it's God's desire for us to be thankful in all circumstances, how should we prepare our hearts to combat the threats of thankfulness? First, we need to recognize the pride in our own hearts. As I'm driving in that car, I think I deserve there should be no traffic at all. We would probably not say that out loud, but in that scenario, we as the driver reveal our heart as we get angry, as we get anxious, as we get discontent from not going as fast as we want to go. Aren't we saying to ourselves that I deserve better than what God has provided? That because of the tasks that I have to get done before 9 a.m., the world should split like the Red Sea, that the other 10 million people in LA County should get out of my way. If our scenario was played out more, as we get into work, we start to see all of our coworkers, they're already at their desk, and we start making comparisons in our own heart. Why didn't that guy get as much traffic as me? I'm the one with the project, do not that guy. Why am I the one experiencing this trial? Often what's happening is that we set up expectations in our hearts, and when the realities of life come against those expectations, we react with sin usually in the form of anger or bitterness. James chapter four, one says this, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? James is saying that the cause of conflict in your life is that pride in your heart reacts poorly when it doesn't get what it thinks it deserves. Second, the danger of this type of pride in our hearts will lead us to think that we are better than God. Starting in the garden, in spite of the direct command from God not to eat of the tree, man thought to himself that he was wiser and that God was just holding out good from him. So what did he do? He disobeyed. Sin entered the world. Was God holding back anything good from Adam and Eve? No. He had the best intention for Adam and Eve, but pride clouded man's insight. Proverbs 20, 29, 23 says, a man's lofty pride will bring him low, but a lowly spirit will, make, will take hold of glory. That was the case for Adam and Eve, and even for us today. For the world, it is counterintuitive. The world will exalt the self-sufficient person, the person who believes in themselves. The Bible says that our pride and self-sufficiency will lead to a state of humbling. Whether it's on this earth or it's before a mighty God, all proud people will be brought low contrasting that with being humble before God, seeking to be thankful in all things, even hard things, will bring about God's glory. In that traffic scenario, do we think to ourselves that if I were God, then I would just make this traffic disappear? We think that our way is the best way. We do not trust the one who made all things and sustains all things. Could God be using that traffic to actually make us better? Could he be using it to grow in us in sanctification? 
could he be using it to cause greater dependence on him and give us a loving check to remind us of our position before him? We as created beings don't have the privilege to determine the outcome of the world. And praise God for that, right? We would do a terrible job of maintaining the world if it was left to us. If you take away anything from today, I hope it's this third point. The biggest threat to our thankfulness is us. We are the reason we lack thankfulness. It's not the people that are placed around you. It's not your surroundings. It's not the things that we own or we don't own that we want. We don't need to change God's heart to make, we don't need to change God's heart to make us thankful. We don't need to change our life circumstances to make us thankful. What we need is to ask God to help change our heart to be thankful. Jeremiah 17 contrasts this in verses five and seven. Verse five says, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. Verses verse seven, blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh and whose trust is Yahweh. God has provided us with everything we have, our health, our wealth, our mental sharpness. So instead of being humble before the one who gave us everything, we rely too heavily upon our own strength and determination to accomplish our will. When the hard things happen, we brace for impact. We try to push past the difficulty. Along with that, we listen to the world that tells us, just believe in yourself. That if you don't like where you are, just change it. It's okay. Unfortunately, there are some circumstances that we can't fix. Instead, what pleases the Lord is to come humbly before him, trusting that his way is better, that he is sovereign. He already knows what's gonna happen. We should put our trust in him and not in our own ability. Do we still have to walk through trials? Yes, but are we trying to do it from our strength or relying on God's strength? To help with our thankfulness, we need to recognize what we really deserve. What we really deserve is punishment for our sin. Dave talked about this. We have done nothing to merit our salvation or even good grace with God. Rather, we as followers of Christ have been graciously given eternal life and the future hope of glory. What we have been given from God will far outweigh any earthly merit or treasure. So when we sit in traffic, instead of getting upset that we aren't getting our way, could we pause and think through what good things God might be doing in that moment? By slowing you in traffic, you may have more time to pray before you get into work. You may have more time to sing praises to his name. You may have more time to listen to an audio Bible, filling your thoughts with wisdom from God's word. When you're humble before God, you can take a trial like traffic and actually be thankful for it. As we get into this holiday season, it is easy for us to become stressed out with all the things, with all the events that are gonna come our way. So I wanna challenge each and every one of us to practically combat the threats of thankfulness by doing one simple thing each morning. And Dave talked about it. Each morning, as your feet hit the ground, I want you to remember the gospel. I want you to remember what you truly deserve apart from Christ and what you have been saved from and what you have been saved to. I want you to remember that the grace shown to you was not because of how good you were, but rather it was during your sin and rebellion against God that he chose you, saved you, provided eternal life for you. If each of us can do that, it'll help our hearts to trust God. No, we don't get the luxury of knowing what God's gonna do in each scenario, even if it's a stressful one, but we trust that what he is doing, it is for our good, and we can respond with thankfulness in everything, knowing that it is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
thanks for using that traffic example. Um, Kenny's been riding in the backseat of my car recently, so I don't know how you knew that. Uh, two things that he said that were so, so powerful. First, that word deserve. I was taught many years ago by my disciple or my mentor that that word is a dangerous word. When you start talking about what you deserve and you start thinking about you deserve better or you deserve this or that because of something that you've done, you're putting yourself in dangerous territory because Kenny's right. What do we actually deserve? Meditate upon that. And then the other thing he said that's so important is that comparison thing. When we start comparing what we have or what we've been given or the trials that we have versus others, that can also put us in dangerous territory. Those are great threats to thankfulness. All right, Jeff Steele is here to sort of close us out and to get really practical, to talk about how we can celebrate Thanksgiving well. Thanks, brother. All right, well, I hope you were all listening to what Dave and Kenny just shared with us. There are some great truths there uh, in what they shared in defining Thanksgiving and the enemies of Thanksgiving. And now it's my turn to talk about implementing some of these thoughts into our Thanksgiving celebrations this year. Uh, First thing, Prepare your own heart. First step to ensuring that your Thanksgiving is enjoyable is to prepare your own heart for it. As believers, we have the most to be thankful for. Uh, So we need to start now preparing our hearts to be truly grateful on Thanksgiving. As Paul reminds us, we're to give thanks in everything. And that needs to start today by practicing gratitude every day. So it's not some novel habit we just start on Thanksgiving Day. There's a radio host who talks about making a gratitude list every day and thanking God for all that he has to be grateful. That's a great habit for all of us to get into year-round. Satan loves to blind us to all the good, uh, good things around us so that we fail to be grateful to God. A blessed Thanksgiving starts with us preparing our hearts by practicing gratitude as a habit of life every day. We can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do. So prepare your hearts by starting to practice thankfulness early. Second, prep the battlefield. Um, Pastor Jeff is not the only history nerd here at Oak. And I have learned from a book I just read on World War I that it was common for both sides in that war to prep the battlefield before the attack by heavy artillery barrages. And the idea was that if you hit them with enough artillery, they wouldn't be able to resist the attack. Um, Now, some of you will be spending Thanksgiving with unbelievers whose attitudes may be all over the map or believers who are struggling in their walk with the Lord. So start today by praying for them asking God to soften their hearts, to open their eyes to all the goodness and to all his goodness and grace and to use you as a light and a testimony to them. It's never too early to start praying for family and friends we will be spending Thanksgiving with. So prep the battlefield. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This verse has great wisdom for us and how we ought to approach spending time on Thanksgiving with unsaved or difficult people. First, don't get caught up in worrying about it ahead of time. Once your imagination starts running wild, it can make you a mess. Instead of letting anxiousness get the best of you, turn your energy to prayer. All right, ask God to work in their lives. Ask God to use you to minister to them. Praying beats worrying every time. 
Oh, you will, while you're praying, practice being thankful for them in your prayers. God hears our prayers. He will give you grace and help. So prep the battlefield by making sure you are spending time in prayer for the people you will be with on that day. Third, men, take the lead, all right? Don't leave it to your wife to be the one who sets the spiritual tone for the day. You be the one who leads your wife and kids in being thankful by your own attitude and your own actions. Take the lead in sharing about what you are thankful for and encouraging others to do the same. Set the tone by helping your family practice Thanksgiving between now and Thursday so it's not something that you do just because it's Thanksgiving Day. Your example in showing and expressing gratitude not only to the Lord but to your wife and kids will go a long way to helping your family have a great Thanksgiving. Here's where spiritual leadership can have an impact. Fourth, lower your expectations. All right, depending on your family situation, uh, if your family are all believers and, are, and fairly joyful throughout the year, your holiday will probably be fine. But if your family is a mixture of believers and unbelievers, or you're the only believer, or if your family is dysfunctional the other 364 days of the year, don't expect that everything will be all sunshine and roses on Thanksgiving. Broken people are still broken on Thanksgiving. So if you go into that kind of situation hoping for a perfect Thanksgiving, you'll probably be disappointed. Don't expect more of people than they can reasonably give. Manage your expectations. Fifth, set an example. Here's where we have the biggest opportunity to make a difference in the lives of family and friends, by the example we set. And here are some thoughts on how to do that. First, choose to serve. Matthew 20, 20 28 reminds us that Jesus had not come to be served, but to serve and to pour out his life for other people. Rather than expecting people to take care of you, you need to go seeking out ways to serve others. Go the extra mile. Help out wherever you can. Don't be so caught up in Turkey and in football that you miss an opportunity to touch other people. Our willingness to serve can have a great impact on the people around us. And the heart of choosing to serve is that decision to put other people and their needs first, just as Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, to be humble and regard other people as more important than ourselves. In doing that, we will be living like Jesus. Next, choose joy. Uh, we have so much to be thankful for and rejoice over that we need to choose to be joyful, especially around unsaved and unhappy people. Paul reminds the Philippians to rejoice always, and then he says again, rejoice. It's amazing how a few joyful people can change the atmosphere of a family gathering. So be that person who chooses joy. And last, choose not to complain. Uh, one of my favorite passages is Philippians 2, 14 and 15, where Paul tells the Philippians to do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that we will prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God in a corrupt generation among whom we will appear as lights in the darkness. Isn't it amazing that all we have to do to stand out from people is to be positive and not complain? Don't let finances or politics or relationships push you into complaining, especially on a day set aside for us to be grateful and especially around unbelievers. 
Choose to be joyful and upbeat and look for ways to be encouraging of all those you are with. Our attitude can infect others, both negatively and positively. So make sure you reject complaining and practice thanksgiving. And besides, no one needs the Holy Spirit to complain. Well, we have more to be thankful for than anyone. We have a heavenly Father who loves us and sought us. We have a Lord and Savior who sacrificed his life to forgive our sins and save us. We have God's Holy Spirit living in us to lead us and guide us. We have the blessing of a strong church family to encourage us and stand beside us. And we have the promise of our Father to meet all our needs and lead us safely into his kingdom. So we need to be the ones who set the example in our holiday celebration of what truly grateful people are like. And I hope, I hope you'll take these things to heart. Prepare your own heart by practicing Thanksgiving daily. Prep the battlefield by saturating it with prayer for the people you will be with. Men, I encourage you to take the lead in uh, helping to teach your family and celebrate Thanksgiving with gratitude. Lower your expectations for what the day might be, especially if you're going to be with unbelievers and people who are struggling. And finally, choose the right things. Choose to serve and put others first. Choose to be joyful and choose not to complain. If we can do those things, we may well find out that we'll not only enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday, but we'll have a positive impact on the people around us. Amen. Good stuff. Thank you for those practical insights, guys. I have found in my life that when I stumble into a holiday and I haven't put thought into it, I haven't prepared my heart, I walk in without any intentional strategy or plan, that's when I struggle. That's when those holidays can become uh, problematic for me. But when we're intentional, Jeff just gave you, I don't know, six, how many things? Six, seven really great practical points for you to think about in anticipation of Thursday. If you can put just one or two of those into practice, you're going to have a blessed Thanksgiving. Amen? Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Let's just seal these truths uh, to our hearts and pray together and ask God to, to bless our week. Father, as a church family, we, uh, we bow our hearts, we lift our voices together as one body, and Lord, we thank you again for your presence here this morning. We thank you for hearing our prayers. And Lord, in just a moment, the worship team is going to come back, and we have a chance to sing your praises, and uh, what a blessing that is, Lord. God, I thank you for these brothers, for their hearts to teach your word, and, and just uh, to encourage your people this morning. Father, make us a thankful people. Cause that in our hearts. Whatever we are dealing with right now in our lives, whether it's this morning or something that we know that we have to face this week, Lord, draw us away from that distraction and back to you. Lord, help us to avoid this idea of feeling like we deserve things. Help us, Lord, to avoid comparing our lives to others. Father, protect us from complaining. Protect us from self-pity. And Lord, help us to practice joy and gratitude. Lord, bring us back to the simplicity of this message that you are good and that you are faithful in all things and that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you, for those who are called according to your sovereign purpose. Lord, have your hand of blessing upon our Thanksgiving celebrations this week. Lord, make us good ambassadors for the gospel. Help us to serve others well. Help us to love and to reflect the love that you have given us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May we honor you well in all of these things. In your name we pray, amen.